0: Judges 5, as I said, verse 1 to 23. Damascus, Juba, Sanya, Kabul, Tripoli, Uh, these are just a few of the many cities around the world that are currently experiencing war or conflict. War affects all of us. Uh, Even here in the UK, we are the government has told us we are at war against Islamic terrorism. As some have said, history is nothing more than the history of war. The the Bible doesn't flinch from that, it chronicles war as a major recurring fact of human history. Uh, War is a reality uh, in a fallen world uh, where there is sin, people fight with one another. That's, a side, that's one side of war. But the Bible at the same time offers us an awful image of war. The Bible often uses war to describe God's redemptive work in the world around us. Uh, throughout the Bible we see God fighting for his people and he's calling his people to fight for him. Uh, we are currently in the book of Judges. As you know Judges It's a story. It's a history of God's people. uh, How they settled in the promised land of Canaan. And uh, we have seen that as soon as they get into the land of Canaan, uh, it all begins to go wrong. They turn their backs on God who led them through Moses and Joshua into the promised land. They turn their backs on him and what do they do? They start worshipping the false gods of Canaan. But then we've seen something amazing, that even though they do this thing, God never turns his back on them. Uh, Quite the contrary, even though they sin and they end up falling under the oppression of of some of the tribes that lived in Canaan, God is always there. He's always fighting for them. He's fighting for them against their enemies. And what is also amazing is that God doesn't just fight for them. He gets them involved as well, as sort of his co-partners in the fight. Against their enemies. Now, a few weeks ago, before last week, before well, a few weeks ago, we looked at Judges 4. You may remember that. Uh, we talked about the God who never forgets. And as we looked at Judges chapter 4, we saw that Israel <clears throat> was enslaved by the Canaanites, uh, led by King Jebin and his commander Sisera. And then, what did God do? God raised up Deborah, uh, that prophetess. And God commanded Deborah to summon Barak, the son of Abinoam, to go and recruit 10,000 men to fight Sisera by the river Kishon. And God gave them a great victory. These men, they answered the call of God, and God gave them victory by the river Kishon. That's what we learned from Judges chapter 4. Now, we are not living in Canaan. This is Bexley, 2017. And we are not Israel. We are the church of God in Jesus, our Messiah. So the question we are asking today is, is Does God still call us to fight for him? Does he? And if he does, have you answered the call? Have you answered the call to fight for him? Well, to help us answer this question, we'll look again at parts of Judges chapter 5. And uh, as you know, this is a victory song that Deborah and Barak sang. Uh, some people have said it's a bit of a flash mob. Uh, you know, Barak and Deborah start singing, and the people join in, and before long, everyone is singing. You've seen that sort of thing happen in some supermarket. Everybody gets involved, and this is a song where they lead off, and all the children of Israel, they start singing. It's spontaneous. And it's uh, an amazing song of victory against Jeroboam. But it is more than a song. It is actually a poetic retelling of how God served them in Judges chapter 4. And it teaches us something about how should we respond to God's call on us to fight for him. The first truth we observe from this song is this. And it's in front of you in your outline. The first truth is that God is calling us all of us, all of us, to fight for him. Not just some, but all of us to fight for him. And the first thing we notice here is that the court to fight for Israel went out to the whole nation, not just Barak and the 10,000 men. Now, if you've been following the news recently, you notice that Sweden has done something very interesting. What has it done? it has reintroduced military conscription. Uh, it feels a bit insecure at the moment, and uh, it's now requiring all the young people uh, of a certain age to get one year military training. And after they finish that one year military training, uh, what do they do? They'll join are part of the reserves. And so if war breaks out, uh, Sweden feels a bit insecure actually at the moment because of incursions perhaps uh, it's worried about from Russia and other states. Uh, it is... Once It doesn't feel it can rely on the EU. So it's got this military conscription thing going. And if the war was to break out, the people who had been trained for that year would be required to fight for Sweden. Some are calling for us as a country to have similar arrangement. Well, whatever you make of that, my point here is that this is exactly like Israel in Judges. God has issued the call to all the men of Israel including the villagers, to fight against Jerbin and Sisera, And we see that they did. Look at verse 2 of Judges chapter 5. That the leaders took the lead in Israel. That the people, the ordinary people, offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. And verse 13 to verse, uh, verse to verse 15 tells us some of the people that joined in. Not just the, the tribes of Zebulun, but others. It says, Then down marched the remnant of the noble vestity. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, they I ruled they march down in the valley, following you, Benjamin. These are tribes of Israel. With your kinsmen, and from Machia marched down the commanders. From Zebulun, those who were the lieutenant staff. And the princess of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar fell to Barak. In the valley, they rushed to Israel. And I mentioned that when you look at Judges 4. It's a bit like those medieval movies, where everyone is joining in, and they're all marching to take on Jeroboam. And actually, if you go back to Judges chapter 4, verse 23, you will see that actually Jabin is actually crushed by the people in the end after Jehiel kills Sisera. The point I'm making here is that God called them to fight all of them, not just the commanders, not just their leaders, not just their pastors, so to speak. Everyone, the men of Israel, joined in. Why did God call them to fight? Well, God called them to fight not because God needed their weapons, or their spears, or he needed manpower. In fact, the victory wasn't even achieved by them, so to speak, by the revocation. God gave them a mighty victory. So why did God want them to fight? Well, because he wanted them to share in the victory. Look at verse 11 of Judges chapter 5. To the sound of the musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord. The righteous triumphs of these villagers in Israel. Did you notice there that the Lord's triumph, the Lord's righteous triumph is also their triumph. So God got them involved To share in his glory, so to speak. We might say that God does not like singing ole, ole, ole by himself after the victory. Uh, He wants us genuinely to get along and sing with him, not just as people watching from the sideline, but as full participants who also were involved in that victory. We might say God is like our parents, isn't it? How parents are, with toddlers. Those of you who are parents, you know that uh, we get toddlers involved in things we can do by ourselves, don't we? The other day I was uh, in the kitchen trying to make milkshake for Abigail. And Abigail wanted to get involved. Now, It was actually more efficient for me just to do it for her and give it to her. But no, I let her also shake and get involved in that. Why? Because it's an expression of love. And I wanted to take the glory in making that milkshake. Yes, to some degree I'm doing all the work. But at the same time, she's involved and she's sharing in that. And that's how God is with us in Jesus. We are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, created to do good deeds. We are his co-workers. God wants these people to share in, because it's an act of love, and so that they may genuinely own the victory. Now, we are God's people today. We have signed on the dotted lines to be part of God's spiritual army when we turned from sin and became born again. The church is God's spiritual army. And we are involved in a spiritual warfare, in a spiritual war. Now our enemies are not physical. We don't wage jihad, No. Our war is spiritual, and our enemies are seeing the devil and the world system. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that scripture, we should all know by heart, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, the church is at war against forces in this world that oppose God's agenda. Paul says this to the church at Corinth, Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse three to four. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are none of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And he goes on to make the point that we take every thought captive to Christ. A Paul there is saying our mission is to seek and destroy the enemy through the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the church's mission in this world. Prayer supports that. Giving supports that. But our mission is to see the gospel of Christ advance in this world. And this is a fight for every true follower of Jesus. Not just pastors, not just deacons, not just those who teach in Sunday school. Everyone. And you must answer the call to fight by giving yourself fully to God's army, the church. Give yourself fully to God first, and then, of course, you give yourself fully to the church. Why the church? Because when these people were summoned, they were summoned to fight for Israel. And you must give yourself to God through the visible church, through this local church, to support and strengthen it in its mission to share the good news of Jesus. Have you answered the call? Are you joining hands with others to strengthen this church to fulfill our mission to share the good news? Or are you just standing on the sidelines Are you constantly praying for this church? Are you giving time and energy to God and the church? Are you fighting sin in your life and within this church? Have you answered the call to evangelize? Have you answered the call that Jesus gave the church? Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Are you making disciples as a believer? The call to fight for God has gone out to everyone. So are you building anyone up in the church? Are you holding the church leadership to account actively? Are you even interested in what I get up to? The call to fight for God has gone out to everyone. To everyone who is a follower of Jesus. And this is not a call that your mom can answer for you. It's a call that you must answer for yourself. It's not a call that our our spouses can answer for us. We must answer it for myself. I must answer it. have, Have I responded to the call to serve God, to fight for him? The sad truth is that, like some people in Israel, many of us do not want to answer the call. That's the sad truth. And that's the second truth we learn from this passage. Second truth, number one, God is calling on all of us to fight for him. But, there's always a but, isn't it? If you've been following me in Judges, I always have a but somewhere. But, not all of us want to answer the call. Not all of us want to answer the call. An opinion poll in 2015 said three in four British people would not be willing to fight for this country. 75% of you would not be willing to lay your lives down for this country. And that's shameful, actually, because around the world, one in three people would not be willing to fight for their country. Only one in three. Only 30% of some countries But for us, 75% are not willing to fight for the country if it came down to it. I'll let you debate why that's the case. But the figures clearly are shameful. Why? Because when there is a crisis, we expect people to answer the call to put themselves on the line for others. But we see here that when the call came to the tribe of Israel, many of them had better things to do. They refused to answer the call to fight. Look at verse, Middle of verse 15 there to the end of verse 17. Notice in the middle of verse 15 that the tribe of Reuben heard the call, but they spent too much time thinking about it and they ended up doing absolutely nothing. Did you see that? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. They were thinking about it. And then verse 16, Deborah raises the question, why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling of the flocks? Friends, Reuben is like people who like going to the mall. <coughs> they look around all the shops and they see what's happening. I tell my wife, I'm not going to the mall if I'm not buying anything. But many people are like that. They go to the mall, they look around, they see a lot of things. And then they go home without having bought anything. I tell my wife, we must buy something if we're here. I'm not going to go to Blue Water and look around and then not even buy a thing. Even if it's a little book, I'll buy. But you see, many of us are like that. We like looking around, but in the end, we never commit ourselves to anything. Reuben suffers from indecision. He can never make up its mind. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to think about things. When people ask you to do things, you must think about it carefully. And it's great they had a great searching of heart, but they thought too long. They thought too long about something so obvious. The call was clear. Come and fight for the Lord. What is there to think about? God commands you to be baptized. Why are you spending time thinking about it? The command is clear in Scripture. Be baptized. God commands you to give financially. Why spend time debating on tithes? Is it pre-tax? Post-tax? How do I give? No, the Bible is clear. Give all you have to the Lord and leave the rest just for what you really need. Stop the indecision. Get on with it. Deborah is saying that you must answer the call. Many Christians, you see, never accomplish anything in their life because they are constantly talking Constantly planning, all cheat each other all the time. And they'd never do anything. Friends, let's be serious. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And no matter how good your plans are, they can't glorify God if they're still in our heads. You may be on the right track, but you won't get far in your service for God if you just sit there and do nothing. Answer the call. The call to fight also went out to the tribes of Gilead. Look at verse 17. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Gilead here refers to the tribe of Gad and east of Manasseh. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. These tribes are on the other side of the river Jordan. They are on the safe side, we might say, from Sisera and Jerbin. And they have refused to answer the call because they probably felt it was none of their business. We might say the river Jordan is a sort of psychological barrier that prevents them to identify with other Israelites who are suffering under Jerbin and Sisera. They failed to see that this was also their fight. Let me ask you, what is the River Jordan of your life? What is that thing that is stopping you to reach out to other people in this church? Is it the difference in the color of their skin? Is it a difference in their culture? Is it difference in age? Is it difference in income? Do you feel distant to reach out to someone because they are so different? Is there a psychological barrier that somehow, like the River Jordan, is making you feel that it's none of your business to reach out to that person? Perhaps your River Jordan is not a thing. It might be an event. Perhaps something in the past went wrong between Manasseh God and the other tribes. We don't know. Is there perhaps a bad experience that is stopping you to help that sister from the past? (coughs) Has she been rude to you perhaps in the past and you don't feel you can reach out to her? Answer the call. Are you carrying a grudge that even stops you spending five minutes talking to that brother, or even paying that couple a visit. What is your River Jordan? Friends, let me divert here. We should also ask this question in our families. I I know I'm going slightly off the text, so pardon me for it, but even in our own personal lives, at work or elsewhere, there may be River Jordans there. Many of us don't talk to family members because we have allowed some barrier to get in between us. You see here that God, wherever he's placed to you, is saying, answer the call. Bring that river Jordan before him and let him remove it so you can fight for him. The tribe of Dan also had the fight to fight for God. They had the call to fight for God. What was wrong with them? They were too busy with work. That's what's wrong with Dan. Look at verse 17. And Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, <clears throat> oh Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Dan is refusing to fight. Why? Because it is costly. It's financially costly for them. You know, Bible stories tell us perhaps the Danites at this stage, perhaps, they had come into an arrangement with the Phoenicians and they were perhaps working on their ships as it were. They had this trading arrangement perhaps with them. So they are busy making money on ships. And perhaps they, they thought to themselves, if we go, we may lose our jobs. And then what? I mean, after all, the, the fight against Jordan and Sisera is not a guaranteed win, is it? I mean, how do we know Deborah has not made it up? It's called to fight. They stayed. They stayed. They put their jobs first. Now, now, now let, me, let us be clear here. God wants each of us to provide for our families. He who doesn't do that is Western unbeliever. We must provide for our families. And God also wants us to provide financially for the church here and beyond around the world for his war effort to spread the good news. He asks both. I mean, don't ask me. The Lord asks you to do both. He asks you to do that and he asks you to do that. He asks you a third thing. He wants you to also fight for Him. So so these are calls that the Lord has brought in your life. He says, work and work for me as well. So you need to ask yourself a very clear question. Is the pursuit of a career or financial security more important to you than growing as a follower of Jesus? Is Jesus first... Or is it money? When you have spare time, when you have time, when you've done your first job, do you go to put in extra shifts or even get another job? Or do you say, I need to be with God's people? How are you guys making these decisions? That's what Deborah is asking. Where are our priorities? You have enough to support your family. But yet, you want more and you're doing it at the risk of serving God's people and answering the call. There are too many of us who are trying to feed God into our lives. And we first decide what life we want and then we give God the rest of the time. That is not a follower of Jesus. If anyone must come after me, he must what? Deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. So be honest with yourself. Just be honest. You have not answered the call. Be honest that God is second in your life. And repent and come back to serve him willingly. Answer the call. The tribe of Asher. What's wrong with Asher? South of France, that's what's wrong with Asher. Look at Asher. Asher sat still, in verse 17, at the coast of the sea, staying by his landing. The tribe of Asher had the cove, but they decided to stay still and enjoy their comfortable and prosperous life by the coast. Are you like Asher? What is more important to you? Coming to pray at 8.30 a.m. on Saturday morning for just one hour or staying in bed for an hour? What is more important to you? Spending an evening catching up on your television and social media or being with God's people? Again, let's be clear. Let's be clear. The Bible is clear. That God wants you to rest. The psalmist says it is in vain you rise up early. Eating the bread of anxious toil, isn't it? You go late to bed eating the bread of anxious Somebody perhaps know the scripture better. But God wants you to rest. And people have been telling me to slow down and rest. We should. And when you don't rest, things go wrong sometimes. So you must rest. You must spend time with your family. God has that's priority. You serve your your family is God's your first mission place where God has placed you, right? Invest in your children. Invest time with them. Invest in your husband, your wife. Make time for them, and still fight for God's army. Spend time with them, at the same time support His church. Look, the issue is this. Are you serious about Jesus at all? That's essentially what this verse is asking us. It's saying, are you willing to make radical sacrifices for Jesus? Or, pardon the pun, are you just coasting along like Asher? Answer the call. One of the saddest things about being a pastor is when you look at Supposedly Christians who seem not interested in answering the call. That's sad. Okay? But what I've found personally worse is not that. What I've found worse is that many of us are deluded that we have actually answered the call. And I think you speak to pastors, some of them they'll tell you. We have to work with the deceit of the heart in the lives of our people. You have to remind them they are not seeing themselves as God sees them. They have not answered the call to fight. Have you answered the call? For someone may ask, well, what's the big deal? What, who, who, fine. What's the big deal if I don't answer the call? Well, that brings us to the third point. Refusing to answer the call is costly. Costly. Point number one, God is calling all of us to fight for him. But not all of us want to answer the call. But does that matter? Yes, it matters because refusing to fight for God, refusing to answer the call is costly. It will cost you. No, Golan. Does the name ring any bells? No Golan. I doubt it. No Golan is a 19 year old woman who was jailed last month by the State of Israel. Why? For refusing compulsory conscription into the Israeli Defense Force. Israel, like Sweden, has a compulsory conscription. Refusing to answer the call in today's Israel gets you one year in jail. And that's very lenient because refusing to answer the call in the Israel in Judges invites the wrath and judgment of God. Look at verse 23. There's a little town here called Meros. We do not know its location. But what we know about Meros in verse 23 is that it was the Switzerland of the day. It decided to do nothing. Just stay neutral perhaps. Look at verse 23. This is the angel of the Lord saying, curse Meros, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly. Why? Because they did not come to the help of the Lord. To the help of the Lord against the mighty. And let us note in passing here that they are cursed not because they fought against God's people, they are cursed because they just did nothing. Let us also know very clearly then that doing nothing for God or very little for God's people is the same as fighting for God, against God. It is the same as as fighting against God. In the kingdom of God, there are no lazy bystanders or conscious objectors. You must answer the call or you are working against God. But the main point here, you see, is that Mero's is a warning to all of us. Because if you don't answer the call, you are living like Edward Snowden. You are a deserter from the kingdom of God. You are living contrary to who you are in Jesus. You are a believer, but you are at war against the church because you are not supporting God's work in this world. And of course, God loves you too much to let you live like that. So he would do everything to discipline you. And some of God's correction be very painful. We'll touch on that this evening in Judges chapter 6, verse 1 to 10. We'll see how God disciplined the people of Israel when they turned against him. So I don't want to spend too much time on God's role of discipline. I just want to say that the hammer of God will continue to eat you so hard until you are shaped into a true fighter of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's serious. The there are possibility possibilities that, of course, perhaps you're refusing to answer the call because you are not a true follower of Jesus at all. Yes, you attend church. Yes, you've even been baptized. Yes, you are a walking Bible. Yes, everyone thinks you are a believer, but you know in your heart, you have not answered the call. And it might be because you are not genuinely converted. You're not interested at all even in Jesus deep down. So you must ask yourself, do I really belong to Jesus? Because, you know, if you don't belong to Jesus, the judgment of mirrors here is already on you. You stand condemned before God. You must answer the call, for you means turning from your sins and putting your trust in Jesus and his death for you. Then you can serve properly in God's spiritual army. What about those of us who are already followers of Jesus? Say, Pastor, I hear you. I want to to answer the call, so how do I answer the call? Well, this is our final point. And briefly, I'll say we answer the call willingly. That's the final point. We must answer willingly. If you've been watching the news, you've seen Hurricane Harvey in Texas. It left devastation in the state of Texas. But in the midst of such devastation, something hopeful, we saw something hopeful, didn't we? What did we see? We saw human chains. We see human chains being formed, people coming together, rescuing others. My favorite story, of course, of the human chain is those 15 people that formed that human chain to save that elderly man who was trapped in his SUV. He would have died to death, and this human chain was formed. 15 people, and they were just pulling one another, and they rescued him. It's amazing to see God's image being displayed in such a way that sinners, yes, Defiled as it that they were. But there's something of God's image still there. And it's encouraging. It's encouraging to see people come together willingly to sacrifice their time and energy. And friends, if non-believers can do that, that's how it should be for God's people. If you look at these verses, one word sums up how those who answered the call responded. Look at verse 2 and verse 9. Verse 2 says that the leaders took the lead in Israel. That the people offered themselves what? Willingly. Bless the Lord. Verse 9 tells us Deborah says, My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves how? Willingly among the people. The message is obvious. Friends, these people did not come kicking and screaming to save God. And they did not need a week of pastoral counsel and pleading. They did not need a great sermon on the internet by by a celebrity. Or they didn't need anything like that to persuade them to see their need to fight for God. They just answered the call. They were not saying, if anyone upsets me, I will leave the church. We hear that here. If someone upsets me, I will leave it. They are not coming like that. They are not saying to Deborah... I don't have to listen to you. I've heard that here. They're not saying that. They're not saying, Chola, you know what? This Sunday I'm going to go try out another church. They're not saying that. We hear such things from people who claim to be believers, but not from the men of Zebulun and Naphtali who got their hands dirty. Look at verse 18. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death naphtali too two on the heights of the field. We must answer the call like these people. They put their lives on the line to save God in this church we should and around us. But I want to close by saying the sacrifice of Zebulun is not merely our example. It points us forward to the Messiah, Jesus, who willingly gave himself for us. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and did what? And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, is 1-2. to Do you see? Jesus is our Zebulun who literally offered his body and his blood willingly to give us eternal victory on the cross against our enemies. And that's why we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper here is a proclamation of that sweet victory. Do you see? Jesus has answered the call for you. You're already a victor in Christ. And it is because Jesus has answered the call for you because you are already victorious in Christ. You must answer the call back to him and live out that victory. You answer the call, we might might rephrase John, isn't it? We love because he first loved us. We might say what? We answer the call because he first answered the call for us. Jesus, your commander, is calling you to fight for him to strengthen His church and proclaim His good news. So two things. Let this picture of the Lord's table, the bread and the wine, remind you of His willing sacrifice for you. And most importantly, answer this question. Will you answer the call Not tomorrow, now. Will you answer the call to fight for him? Amen. Amen.